Chapter number 20 of Regiment of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lola Janey of Virginia. Regiment of Women by Clements Dane. Chapter 20. The morning wore to an end. Claire had come in at the mid-morning break to announce that the dress rehearsal would take place on the afternoon of the following day. All costumes were to be ready. The day girls were to lunch at the school. She was brief and businesslike, inaccessible to questions. She did not look at Louise. Alwyn, later in the morning, supplementing her instructions, paused a moment at the child's desk. But Louise gave no sign. Alwyn hesitated. She herself was averse from verbal sympathy. Also, she was pressed for time, and Claire, she knew, wanted her. The one o'clock bell shattered her indecision. She gave her directions and hurried away. Louise packed her books together and went home. She endured the cheerful, noisy lunch, carried out some small commissions for her stepmother, shepherded the troop of small boys into the paddock behind the garden and saw them established at their games. She stayed a moment with the round two-year-old sprawling by the pile of coats, but he too had his amusements. Every pocket tempted his inquiring fingers. He ignored her. She went back to the house. Habit brought her for the fiftieth time to the attic and she had opened the door before she remembered. She looked about her. An iron bedstead covered by a crude quilt stood where the trunk of books had lain. A square of unswept carpet lay before it. There was a deal night table and a candlestick of blue tin with matches and a guttered candle. Across a chair lay a paper bag, face downwards, and a pair of soiled red corsets. The ivy had been cut away from the window, and the sunlight cast no fantastic frieze, but a squared black shadow on the floor. The air was close and a little rank. Louise shrank from it. Mother, she said, and then, you've gone away, haven't you? It's no use calling. She waited. The uneven water jug rattled in its basin. She spoke again. Mother, I know it's all spoiled here, but couldn't you come just for a little while, Mother? I'm most miserable. Please, Mother. There was no answer. What shall I do? cried Louise wildly. What shall I do? Oh, what shall I do? She turned from that empty place stumbled to her room and flung herself across her bed. She was shaken by her misery as a dog shakes a rat. She cried, her head in her arms, till she was sick and blinded. Loneliness and longing seared her as with irons. The clock ticked and the sunshine poured into the room. The shouts of the children, the crack of the ball on bat sounded faintly. The house slept. Two hours passed. Somewhere, a clock chimed and boomed. Four o'clock. Slowly and stiffly, Louise roused herself and got off her bed. She was cramped and shivering. 
She stood in the middle of the room and held out her hands to the brassy sunlight, but it did not warm her. She felt dazed and giddy. Her head burned as if there were live coals in it. Her thoughts flowed sluggishly. She found it impossible to hurry them. They split apart into fragments that were words and meaningless phrases, or stuck like cogged wheels. Her mind moved across immense spaces to adjust these difficulties, but she policed them in vain. There was one sentence in particular that she could not deal with. It would not move along and make room for other thoughts. It danced before her. Its grin spanned the horizon. It inhabited her mind. It was reversible like a liberty satin. It ticked like a clock. What next? What next? What next? Next what? Next what? Next what? What next? Duly she reckoned it up. The tea bell. Homework. Bedtime. Night. And the false dreams. Morning. And the anger of Miss Hartill. Day and week and month and the anger of Miss Hartill. The years stretched out before her in infinite repetition of the afternoon's agony till her raw nerves shrank appalled. Kneeling down, she told God that it was impossible for her to endure this desolation. She implored him, if he should in truth exist, not to reckon her doubt against her, but to be merciful and let her die. It was not the first time that she had prayed thus, but never before with such fierce insistence. If he existed, he could impossibly refuse. Speaking her thoughts, even to so indefinite a listener, steadied her. A ghost of hope had drifted through her mind. A ghost, indeed. A messenger that whispered not of waking, but of sleep. Not of arduous renewing, but of an end. Death was life upon his lips, and life death. Yet he was none the less a hope. The familiar text upon the wall above her bed caught her eye. The message seemed no more miraculous than the pansies and mistletoe that wreathed about its gilt and crimson capitals. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Ask, and it shall be given unto you confirmed her from the other wall. She sat between those tremendous statements and considered them. God had never yet answered any prayer of hers. Not, she supposed, that he could not, but because he did not choose. He was rather like Miss Hartle, but Miss Hartle would never understand. At least one could explain things to God, if God were. And she asked so little of him just to let her die and be at peace. She thought he might if he had even time for sparrows. She wondered how he could manage it, if he would only be quick because red-hot wires ran through her head when she tried to think, and she was afraid, afraid, afraid of tomorrow and Miss Hartill. The tea bell peeled across the garden. She tidied her hair and fetching the sponge and towel stood before the glass trying to trim her marred face into some semblance of composure the boys would be clamoring and one never knew there might be a tainted food a loose bolster a tag of carpet he had his ways she must not balk him 
she went downstairs. The children were tired and cross and quarrelsome. The heat had soured even cheerful Mrs. Denny. It was not a pleasant meal, but it could not oppress Louise. Outwardly docile and attentive, her mind had withdrawn into itself and sat aloof, invalid, surveying its surroundings much as it would have watched the actors in a moving picture. She was impervious to bickerings and querulous comments. What did it matter? She would never have tea with them again. She was going away from it all. If only God did not forget. All through the breathless evening she awaited his pleasure. Long after the house was quiet and Mrs. Denny tucking up her children had come and gone, Louise lay wakeful, still waiting. It was an airless night. Every other moment the little unaccountable noises of a sleeping building broke the warm silence. Shadows scurried across the counterpane and over her face like ghostly mice as the trees outside her window bent and nodded to a radiant moon. She was weary to the point of exhaustion. Momently her body seemed to shrink away from her into the depths of the bed, warm, fathomless depths, leaving her essential self to float free and uncontained. She would resign herself luxuriously to the sensation of disintegration, but with maddening regularity, her next breath clicked body and soul together anew. Yet, as she drowsied, the space between breath and breath lengthened slowly, till they lay divided by incredible aeons in which her thoughts wandered and lost themselves, grew whore and died and were born again, while the dead weight of her body sank ever deeper into sleep, was recalled to consciousness with ever-increasing effort. She speculated languidly upon her sensations. They recalled a day at the dentist's years before. A tube had been placed over her mouth and she had struggled, remembering a hideous story of a woman, a French marquise, that she had read in a magazine. The name began with a B or a V. Bryn something, the funnel, the leather funnel. That was the name of the story. But there came no choking water only sweet buzzing air. And then her body had dropped away from her as it was doing now. She recalled the sensation of rest and freedom. She had passed like a bird planing down warm breezes into exquisite oblivion. She had returned centuries later to a dull aching pain, harsh noises and lights that were like blows. But if she had not returned, she would have been dead they would have buried her. Such things had happened. So that was death, that cradling beautiful sleep, and God was sending it to her now, flooding her, drowning her in its warm comfort. God was very good. She was sorry, sorry that she had often not believed in him, but Miss Hartle didn't. But she would never see Miss Hartle anymore. Perhaps years after, when she was tired of sleeping, she would go back and see her again. There was All Souls Night when you woke up. But she would not frighten Miss Hartle. She laughed a little to think that she could ever frighten Miss Hartle. She would kiss her, a little ghost's kiss that would feel like a puff of air. And then she would go back and sleep and sleep and sleep. 
with only the yale berries pattering on her gravestone to tell her when another year had drifted past it was funny that people could be afraid to die she wondered if ghosts snored and if you heard them if your grave were very close it was her last thought as she slid into slumber instantly the breakfast gone came crashing across her piece she fought against waking her eyelids lifted the weight upon them as violets press upwards against a clod of rotten leaves she lay dazedly her mind cobwebbed with dreams her thoughts trickling back into the channels of the previous night slowly she took in her situation there was the window and a shining day without she could hear the starlings quarreling on the lawn and the squeak of an angry robin there was her room and the tidy pile of clothes by the bed the bed and she herself lying in it so she was not dead there was today to be faced and miss hartle's anger and all the other hundreds and thousands of days and she must get up at once her sick mind shrank from that as from a culminating terror she was desperately tired her body ached as if it had been beaten dressing was a monstrous and impossible feat it could not be yet her stepmother would come she was between god and mrs denny and god had left her in the lurch she lay shielding her eyes from the strong light the pressure on her eyeballs was causing the usual kaleidoscopic ring of light to form within her closed lids. The phenomenon had always been a childish amusement to her. She was adept at shifting pressure that could vary color and pattern. She watched idly. Red changed to green. Purple followed yellow. And the ring narrowed to a pinpoint of light on its background of watered silk. Then it broke up as usual into starry fragments. But they danced no dazzling fire dance for her ere they merged again into the yellow ring. To her distracted fancy, they were letters, fire letters, that formed and broke and formed again. G-O-D, then an H and a P and an L. She puzzled over them. God hopes? God helps? But he hadn't. God helps. A voice in her ears, exactly like her own, took it up. Those that help themselves. It spoke so loudly that she shrank. The universe echoed to its boom. Yet she knew so well that the voice was only in her own head. No wonder her head ached when it was all full of lights and voices. And Miss Hartle would be angry if she took them to school. If only she need not go to school. Why, why had God cheated her? He helped those. Was that what they meant? She looked about her, brightening yet uncertain. Then her long plait of hair caught her eye. Lazily she shifted it, disentangled a strand no thicker than coarse string, and doubling it about her throat, began to tighten it using her fingers as a lever till the blood sang in her ears she had sat upright in bed for a greater ease suddenly she caught sight of her face in the wardrobe mirror it was growing pink and puffy the eyes googled a little 
the sensation of choking grew unendurable. Instinctively, her fingers freed themselves and the noose fell apart. She swung forward, panting, and watched her features grow normal again. It's no good. Oh, I am a coward, cried Louise wearily. Her mother's old-fashioned traveling clock chimed the quarter, answered her, and for a moment forced her thoughts back from those borderlands where sanity ends. Habit asserted itself. She was filled with everyday anxieties. She was late, certainly for breakfast, probably for school. She jumped out of bed, washed, and dressed in panic speed collected her belongings, and hurried from the house. Her father, hearing the gate clack, glanced up from his newspaper. Has that child had any breakfast? He demanded uneasily. There was no answer. He was late himself, and his wife had poured his coffee and left the room. He could hear her heavy footfall in their bedroom overhead. He returned to his reading. End of chapter 20